Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. common question that we see online and you may have asked yourself, how much do I need to retire? Do I need a big super account? Do I need other assets? When can I retire? Well, a lot of that is about having a goal, setting some realistic expectations in your life and getting on with it. We're going to talk about the 4% rule in this episode. We'll touch on the rule of 72. So you can even grab your calculator now, 72 divided by 5.5, it would take 13 years to double your initial money based on a 5% return. That's the rule of 72. We're going to talk about this and more, but we can't do this episode without our show partner, Tao. As one of Australia's leading life insurers, Tao are committed to protecting people and helping you look after what matters most if something goes wrong with your health. Search Tao online, T-A-L, or speak to your financial advisor today about how Tao can protect you and your family. If you need a financial advisor, you can head over to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and I'd be more than happy to introduce you to a trusted professional. And before we get into today's episode, we are joined by Owen Rask and Kate Campbell from the Australian Finance Podcast. Welcome to the show, Kate and Owen. Thanks for having us, mate. Great to be here, Glenn. You guys ready to have a chat? Sure. Yeah. Let's get it on. Okay, we'll talk about these guys later in the episode to you a bit about who they are, but we're just going to get straight into the money questions. I'm going to throw to Kate first. Patrick asks, how should we integrate yearly bonuses into our money plans? Well, isn't it nice to get a bonus? It is. It's a bonus. Yeah. Many people (laughs) would be quite excited right now, uh, especially with everything going on to get a bonus. And I think some industries are are more used to getting yearly bonuses than not. And some industries, uh, getting a bonus would be like seeing the Easter Bunny. So I think firstly, knowing if you're in an industry where bonuses are normal or not. And the biggest thing I would say is not treating it like general revenue. When you get that bonus in your account, don't just let it go into your bank account with your paycheck and all of your other money. Actually, even just writing down in your notes app, how much money you're getting and what your plan is with that money. Maybe if it's $5,000, I mean, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Um, You might decide, okay, I'm going to put $1,000 into my investment account, $1,000 towards going on a holiday and $3,000 is going to top up my emergency fund or something like that. But I think the most important thing, uh, if you are getting a bonus, is to have a plan for it so you actually know where you spent that money. Otherwise, it's very easy for it to just disappear into the, uh, the money pit that is your bank account. That's such a succinct answer. You can't add to that, can you, Owen? I could probably give <laughs> counterpoints. So, oh, okay. <laughs> so um, maybe not counterpoints to Kate's um, direction there, but maybe counterpoints to what I see a lot, Yeah. which is that a lot of people, when they earn more money, they spend more money. And that's what we call lifestyle inflation. And so the idea would be to mentally, and even if it takes, uh, you have the opportunity to physically separate that money, separate it from your your other revenue, so to speak. So it doesn't go into consolidated revenue and just get lost amongst everything. Um, you know, end of tax year is a great time to do this because you get those bonuses or you get a tax return. Um, fantastic opportunity to set yourself up, whether it's emergency fund or start investing. There you go. Treat it as a bonus. And actually, here's a wild one. What if you treated your bonus like this bonus, I want to be able to spend more than once? And the only way we can spend money more than once is investing for the future. So you're thinking, if I invest all of this bonus now in 10 years' time, I'll be I able can to spend, spend it again twice yeah. over. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a good way to look at it. I probably haven't looked at it that way because usually when you've got this money coming in, you've mm. got so many different things you want to spend it on and you've probably got a lot of different goals. But if you're in a position where you can invest that whole amount and maybe think, 
in 10 years time, all of these bonuses that I've accumulated are going to allow me to go on a six month adventure around the world. Mm. Well, that could be another really good way to look at it. Yeah. And I want to probably just, I did want to move on, but I just want to unpack it and do a scenario. So if you were on, we'll pick a number just for the argument of it. You're on a 50 grand salary or a hundred grand salary, pick either of them. We'll use a hundred because it's more spicy with the bonus, the example I'm going to use. So if you're on a hundred grand salary and each year you consistently got a $100,000 bonus and it's consistent. So double, like basically a rinse and repeat of your salary as a bonus. I would encourage you that there's probably a broader conversation to have with your employer to say, look, this has been the case for the, we need to restructure the REM here. Just pay me 180 and flick me a 20 grand bonus at the end of the year. You know what I mean? Like conversely, if it is a smaller bonus, we can actually build our life off our PAYG as it comes, as you first started with. So I think it's just working out if the bonus is regular, as in it's happened all the time and it's quite chunky and you do have repeat customers, I'd be probably going back and saying, can, can I get some more stability if it's possible uh, with the week-on-week income? Yeah, I would say I'd second that. Yeah. Um, otherwise, it's... It's very lumpy. Mm. It's very hard to plan around that. As someone who's been a uh, subcontractor for quite a few years. Have you guys ever been in a role where you've got a bonus before? Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty exciting the first time um, in one of my earlier jobs getting a bonus. And I it probably at the time just went into that consolidated revenue mm. of just, oh, this is exciting, this money I didn't expect suddenly coming into my bank account. It probably was $1,000 at the time, which was a huge amount of money. Mm. Um, I cannot remember what I spent it on. I definitely did not write it down. Uh, I wish I knew. I wish I had done that with all my tax returns to date even mm. um, before I started having to pay tax when I actually got tax refunds, actually writing down what I spent that money on because it would be cool to have that track record. Yeah. I often think like when you spend big amounts of money, you rewind. And this is because I, I always talk about, do the you of, a, do you of tomorrow a favor today? And that came about by me thinking like, oh, I spent that $1,000 on that thing three years ago. I didn't need it. I'd rather just the $1,000 back now, three years later. So then it's just like reverse engineer it and be like, all right, will, I re- will future Glenn regret this in two years? And if it's, like you said, a holiday for life experiences, heck no. But if it's, you know, money whistles and moon pies, Simpsons, anyone? Um, It's, yeah, it's a serious question to ask yourself. Hey, there's a question here from Cassie Lawson. I'm 30. I've just had a baby. Congratulations. Have a $13,000 credit card debt. Have no big assets or shares. And I'm about to get my maternity leave pay of around $10,000. What should I do with the Monet? Yeah, this is a... Do you have kids? No, I do not. Do you have kids? Nope. I don't. No, unless you consider pets, <laughs> yeah. kids. We don't know, Cassie. Do whatever. Next question. Ken asks... No, joking. <laughs> oh, man. It's enough looking after myself at this point in yeah. my life. <laughs> yeah, no. I, so, congrats, first of all. Um, that's fantastic. Uh, unfortunately, 13 grand of credit card debt is not fun. So, um, you know, we get people right into us, they have 50, 60, 70,000. It's not about comparing, but uh, there are a lot of people in this situation. So, this might be relevant whether whether you have kids or not. Um, so, obviously, Cassie, we don't know your c- circumstances. This is where a good advisor comes in or a counsellor. But what I would say is, first of all, if you don't necessarily need that $10,000 to live on. So, I think this question is getting at, should I invest it? And if- Well, I'm getting a should I pay off my credit card? Yeah. yeah. So I want to do something with the money sure. rather than say, I need this to live on. Mm. Right. So I'm assuming there may be a, some other savings or a partner in the, in, the, in the mix here. If that's the case, this is a fantastic opportunity to pay down that debt. It's a fantastic opportunity to invest. But what I would probably would, and I imagine your advice would be the same here, mate, which is that chances are your credit card's charging you between 15 and 23% interest rate. If you can get a, an investment return beyond that plus tax. I mean, fantastic. Most of us can't. So the sensible advice on a spreadsheet is pay down the debt mm. and restructure that debt as well, probably while you're at it. So, um, I mean, that's where I would go. That's where my mind goes. I know a lot of people want to invest and there's an itch that they need to scratch. So maybe if that's the case, maybe you take $500 and you start your investing journey because it's the first investment, which is 
I guess the most anxiety provoking. So you may be able to get two birds with one stone here, really hit that debt for six, but also dip your toe in the water, feel what it's like to invest for the first time. Um, yeah, and, and I guess it always comes back to your personal circumstances, but also your behavior. Um, you know, some people were more inclined to have a, an amount of debt. I definitely am not that type of person. I have never had credit card debt. I've had personal loans and I never, ever want to go back there again. So um, it feels a lot better once you're free of that. I would um, not agree with your comments. and I like this. Yeah, that's why I'm like, oh, keep going because we can have good discussion points. Because, And this is it. And we'll ask Kate what she thinks. But like, there's no right answer to any of this crap, is there? And Correct. Do you have a view? Well, I think the main thing is, do you have an income source at the moment? And if if the maternity payment of $10,000 is all you're going to get and maybe you don't have an income source for six or 12 months, maybe you find it difficult to get back into the workforce after that, that 10 grand could be all you're seeing for a, a period of time. And so I would be very much thinking, okay, that 10 grand might be covering multiple months of, even if I have a partner that's covering some of the living expenses, that could be my spending money for the rest next year. And that might be all I'm seeing coming in. And so I would probably be thinking, okay, do I need to keep all of that money just in a savings account for now? So it's really accessible. And then maybe I'll talk to a financial counselor about um, if there's a a program I can put my credit card onto so I can pay it back over a different period of time. And then possibly if I have no other income sources, I'm focusing on the credit card, maybe once I get back in the workforce or have a bit more income coming in. Yeah. Do you guys send people to financial counsellors? Like, is there a website that you send people to? Yeah, we have. We just recorded an episode last week with another financial counsellor. Yeah, uh, the most the place you start with National Debt Helpline. Yeah, and they sure. Kind of refer you out to different yeah, cool. places, which is they're yeah. fantastic free resource. All of the financial counsellors we spoke to are really switched on, fantastic people. Mm. Super um, motivated. I don't know yeah. if there's been a bad one. I haven't heard any people mm. write in saying they've talked to a bad financial counsellor. They're all very passionate about what they do and helping people. My psychologist sucks because he just keeps asking me awkward questions. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you feel that? Why? Do you- <laughs> yeah, and there's going like, to be some uncomfortable annoying. moments. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think, and again, this is just me from the way that I've seen the world. Let's flip it and let's change the scenario if there was no baby and someone was 30 years old, has a 13 grand credit card debt and has a payment coming in of 10 grand. They may have um, hurt themselves at work and they had to take three months long service leave at the time and while the claim sorts out. So that payment, yeah, you said it, Kate, if it is you, like it's maternity leave pay, which means it's pay and it might need just to be spent as part of your living expenses, right? So... That aside, if you need to spend it to cash flow the family budget and your life, don't feel guilty about that. What I would then first, this is how I would cascade it down. Number one, when we end up with a credit card debt, I believe it's not because uh, Cassie's gone out and bought a 13 grand lounge, dining room setting, TV cabinet and furnished her house in one go. Usually credit cards, it's death by a thousand cuts and you've woken up, oh, I've earned 13 grand. It hasn't been that one big purchase. So that means systematically, we've been consuming more income that's coming in the door. Usually, there might be an emergency, but I'm being very broad here. So my first step is to stop the leak. We need to make sure that month on month, with whatever income's coming in, if you've got a spouse or a partner, that we're managing our money and as a household spending less than what we earn, number one. Number two... While we're off work, whether it is that example that I use like um, where I've gone through a medical event or maternity leave, I'm more in favour of keeping cash heavy and not paying down that debt because if there was another little hiccup or emergency, we don't want to go back into debt. And I'm okay with paying a little bit of interest and while we stop the leak and get our systems in place. I'd probably say then once we get back to work or back to normal, then what we need to do is probably go, okay, we've still got this capital if we haven't needed it to spend. I'll then probably carve out a mini emergency fund of a couple of grand and throw eight grand at the debt. I'm personally not dicking around with trying to refinance a um, five grand debt. Just like, okay, now we need a plan to attack that debt. 
So that's what I would think. Yeah, happy to disagree if you need me. If you need to, happy for you to disagree. <laughs> oh, it's just that, like with every question, there's yeah. so many variables. There's just variables, Whether isn't you've there? got income coming in, how much other money you've yeah. got put aside. Um, yeah. If you're I'd, a single parent, it's a very different picture mm. to doing it with another person who's fully employed. Mm. I'd probably push back on a few things. Um, the first is that the, there's an emotional element to debt. And mm. um, there, I, I don't think in the people that, from the people that I speak to, I don't think there's anything, there's more of a feeling of accomplishment that you get from money than paying off a credit card debt, mm. particularly if it's one that's hung around for a few years. The second thing that I'd say is if we just take round figures of $10,000 in credit card debt, if you charge 22%, say with, you know, 500 bucks a year, you're looking at like nearly $3,000 a year going out the door. Mm. And if just by paying it down, there's like synergies there with that money. So you can still have the credit card to mm. your point, which I think is fantastic. Uh, but then you can just have the buffer there. At least you're not paying the interest. Mm. Uh, you can use your credit card to finance things like purchases, emergency purchases, that type of thing as well. Um, to your point, yeah, I, I, I think, and I think, I don't know, I could be wrong with this, Glenn, but one of the powerful things that a financial advisor can actually do with you is sit down and do a retrospective budget. So this is where you, everyone comes in and they're like, yeah, I'm going to save 20% of my income. And you're like, yeah, fantastic, great. That's wonderful. You got 10% super, that's 30%. Wow. But the problem is, if you look backwards, you've often spent a lot more than you thought. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And a retrospective budget is that thing that basically puts a sanity check on what you can achieve going forward. And that's, to your point, fantastic thing to do for people is look back. If you do have a leaky ship, plug those holes. Mm. Yeah. So, like you said, we can take this multiple ways. Yeah, and that's it. Like, I guess I'm, you know, being in that position of coaching people out of this, the behavior thing, like the behavior got somebody into debt and it needs to get them out of debt, like the interest rate isn't the problem. It's just sloppy behavior. But if in doubt, and why don't you do half what Owen says and why don't you do half what Glenn says? Put five grand on the debt. Like it just has to be to your comfort and emotional level. Uh, but even regardless, I would probably say if the baby arrived yesterday, I would still like you to be cash heavy um, and Great. pretend the credit card doesn't exist. But um, like like everything, our comments are worth what you paid for them. <laughs> There's a question here from, from Ken. And just before we press go on this, I asked Owen to bring up uh, the ATO website. Ken Cervantes, if that's how I pronounce your name, what's the best way to minimize tax with a structure when you are earning PSI? And PSI is personal service income. Is there an ATO definition of PSI? Uh, there are many definitions. Okay. There's like <laughs> multiple layers for you to jump through. I'll, uh, I'll keep reading the question. Seems like having a trust or company isn't very beneficial. Are there still tax benefits to setting up through a discretionary trust if your business income is PSI? So the short answer is no, but let's paint an example. Let's say Ken is a bit of a solopreneur he may be a, a sole trader and he may be an IT consultant and he may be earning really good money, like 300 grand a year, IT consultant. He might have two or three uh, contracts that he does, but he leaves the cave every day, goes to site, fixes computers, charges, comes back home. At the end of the year, he's got a big fat tax bill and he wants to know, is there any ways around that? So, do you want to read some words on the ATO website? Yeah, sure. So this is one that uh, prompted me to do a bit of research into this before we started recording. So basically, PSI is um, a part of your income that comes from your skills, knowledge, or efforts, and basically your personal exertion. And that's important because in the past, a lot of people would start a company which may pay tax at 30%, whereas the highest marginal tax rate is in the 40s. So there's like a, a little bit of saving there that you can have from a company. So in my case, I've got a company, but I also I draw a wage from that. The best thing that anyone can do is actually go to the ATO website, type in PSI calculator. There's a calculator and it takes you through about four or five steps. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. And that's the easiest thing because I thought I was subject to this as well. Right. And we just had a chat about yeah, this. Yeah. And it turns out that I'm not because- you know, uh, this week uh, I caught up with some some players from an AFL club, did a chat with them about investing, and I thought, wow, that's the perfect thing. Kate and I, we, we were talking about this. Turns out 
we're not because it also takes into account things like, yes, if it's your skills or expertise, this is why medical consultants, IT consultants, financial professionals and so forth get caught up in this rule is they think, well, I'm a consultant. I have a company structure. I was trying to deflect some of the tax. Uh, turns out I can't because I'm actually the one that generates this mm. income for the quote business. So there are a few hu- uh, hurdles. If more than 50% of your income re- received for a contract was for your labor skills or expertise, then all of that income from that contract is PSI. Mm. So this is where a good accountant will help you out. Totally. Yeah. And then within that, so you've gone, okay, and it's per contract. So you could have a business that does 20 different things, but if one of those things is, I'm going to go out and consult for a week. Well, if that's straight up through your, like your expertise or skills as an individual, then your accountant should be guiding you through this process to make it, make sure that you're invoice and the way you are doing things is appropriate for your needs. Yeah. So, an example might have been, Ken may have been thinking, hey, if I trade out of a discretionary family trust and use that as my trading entity, I can invoice the companies for that $300,000. And then at the end of the year, I might have a non-working spouse and I can just distribute up the tax rates up to 80 grand or whatever that works out to be Mm. to the non-working spouse to save overall tax. No, I think you can Google part 4A, Ken, and uh, that might give you some answers there if you go down that road, But um, and that's tax evasion, everyone. Um, but yeah, the, the only other way that Ken could possibly get around this would be to incorporate, employ a lot of people, have the entity happening. So, if Ken didn't rock up for four weeks in a row, the company still printed money, he could then distribute it out to whoever he wanted to as per the the laws of the land and the uh, the trust deed. Yeah, I think one of the key things for you to think about here is, does the income, is it derived from the assets of the business? So, if the business has assets, that's mm. probably a key test for you just in your mind. You know, I'm doing a bit of this work. Do I have like property plan and equipment? Do I have some sort of service that I offer, like a coffee machine, for example? That's the assets of the business. Uh, whereas if you're going out and you're just consulting, different ball game. Mm. So, that's where you would want to speak to your accountant about these rules. And for me, like personally, like we run a whole heap of different podcasts and they generate income into the business without even me being there. Like one show might run with two different hosts, Rachel and Nathan will edit it. And then the profit that that makes goes to the owner of the company for the profit, happens to be me and happy days. So, Mm. It's a really good thing and we haven't actually talked about PSI that much, but I did see it come up and I thought, yeah, let's just scratch the surface on this. And Kate, you're a tax professional. (laughs) I do not wish. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We'll take a quick break and we'll be back right after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We're back, everyone. And we're badder than ever. Nathan, roll the bump music for this segment, please. All right. We asked the Facebook group, what, I forgot to say please almost, what amount do you need to have available in savings to feel secure? Wow. There's a lot of things here. 
Do you guys want to share yours? You don't have to share amounts. Mm. I think it's definitely changed. When I was 19, I I thought it was just an exact dollar amount, a million dollars and problems would be solved. I mean, I'd never have to worry about anything again, but um, I know it's one of the comments in there, but it's it's definitely more you of a... Well, you can read <laughs> yeah. the person's one. Yep. Uh, I think the comment that had the most likes is definitely uh, how I'd feel. Another Catherine, actually, Catherine Mack. I thought once I had $10,000, approximately three months of living expenses, I would feel secure. I didn't. Then I realised that feelings of security have absolutely nothing to do with how much money you have in the bank. And I think the further you go down on your financial journey and the more you learn about investing, you realise it's a lot more about what's inside your, your head and your heart rather than the numbers on a bank account. Yeah. Do you have a, any philosophical thoughts on that yourself, Owen? Philosophical? Wow. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I could. Um, and I would agree with what Catherine said in the Facebook group there. Uh, to be honest, when I grew up, I didn't grow up with a lot of money. Um, in fact, very little. Mm. And uh, I was talking to Kate today about the way we view the world. Our philosophy is shaped by our experience and our education. And for me, my experience was one of a lot of financial difficulty. So for me, I what I realized when I go back over my budgets and things with my partner is I'm able to cope with close to zero in my bank account and I'm able to function. Whereas my partner could never, ever do that. And that's a risk profile thing as well, yeah? Exactly, yeah. And so for me, you know, I'd be happy, you know, we've got a mortgage now, so maybe a little bit more, you know, I'd be, I'd be still actively investing even if I only had five, ten, twenty thousand $20,000 in my bank account. Because I, I, ha- I have confidence that I'll keep earning and mm. so on and so forth. But, you know, what's our advice to people is three to six months, like preferably six months if you've got a single income family, you're higher risk. Mm. But- you know, yeah, so I'm willing to scrape uh, the barrels and kind of just roll with it. And I think being, quote unquote, entrepreneurial, um, you have to take risk. And so I'm used to that feeling. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's cool. Rach Bernadette said, to be honest, I won't feel secure until I have 100K. That's a fair bit. And- and this is funny, like, I'll read the next one, everyone, and don't get rage bait because everyone's situation is so different. Um, and it really isn't about the money, as we've just discussed, right? Like, Chris Bridges said, I would not feel comfortable with less than 50K in savings. Francis, do you want to read Adele's there? Yep. Uh, one year of living costs. I know it's so much, but one thing COVID has taught me is that three to six months are definitely not enough. And I think a lot of people experienced that. Um, uh, luckily, we had JobKeeper and JobSeeker mm. for a while, but it was suddenly that job that you thought was always going to be there, some of them just disappeared overnight. Mm. And if there hadn't been that safety net, and some people, like a lot of people in the arts industry, really struggled during that time. And I think we, we say three to six months a lot, but I think just personally, my views have, I, I'm probably like pushing the six months now just because I'm a high risk investor. And so having that a big cash buffer put aside gives me a huge sleep at night factor to take more risk in my investing. Mm. Any there that jump out to you, Owen? Uh, Naomi says, as long as my bills are paid, I have food and some beer, I'm all good. I don't need lots of dollars to feel safe and secure. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And for me, like these guys have shared, so I'll share as well, like in my personal name, so the Glenn James spending plan spreadsheet, it tells you basically a target of three months based on your expenses. And I tell people, if it says $12,231 as your emergency fund and you want it to be 15, knock yourself out. If you want it to be 10, knock yourself out. Like there are some personalities that will have it to the dollar. That's not me. Uh, So in my personal life on my mortgage offset, uh, my emergency fund is probably closer to six months in real life, like double what the paper of three months says. But in my business, it's kind of, your business is a separate version of you and I'm very cash heavy uh, because I've got an absolute responsibility to make sure my team salaries get paid every single Friday. And that's number one financial responsibility in my life. Before my mortgage, before my phone bill, before anything, you know, if I, if I run out of money and Telstra say, pay $65 a month phone bill, Glenn, well, I don't have any money because I paid my staff, get stuffed Telstra, that's like absolutely my priority. So in my own business, I'm 
now targeting um, as my first big goal a year's worth of payroll. That's just, impressive. Yeah, just to be 100% cash heavy. Because in this business that we're doing, you know, it's show business, baby. You know, who knows? Well, we might not get show partners next year. We might not have any income next month. So I have to be ultra conservative. Um, so that's what in my personal life, I'm cash heavy. And in the business, I'm cash heavy. And it's okay to be cash heavy. And this is funny, like we do need to end this segment, but like if you, I don't know, inherited a million dollars, for example, and you know you didn't want to do anything crazy with it, like buy fast cars and all that. Sure, there's an argument that it probably the capital needs to go to work and we don't want a million dollars in cash sitting around. But once you understand risk and return, sure, you might feel that you want $200,000 of that at call all the time, but then it's walking down the road and putting your money to work. So mm. There's a lot of like mental stuff to go through. You could get a million dollars and feel completely insecure about money if you haven't sort of worked through that process of understanding what it's like to have money and save it and invest it and feel comfortable with what you've got. And I think it, the other thing about having that emergency fund, it is that security net, not only if something goes wrong, but it gives you a lot more confidence in making career choices. I'm sure you've covered that a lot in the, mm. the careers podcast, but you can make choices from a position of strength because you know you've got this safety net behind you. If you mm. need a, um, if you want to travel, if you want to change jobs, you know you've got this aside. If your partner wants to go back to study, you've got this put aside. So I think it, it does, I know a lot of entrepreneurs are like, oh, you've got to start from zero and work your way up. But I think you can do a lot more and you have a lot more choices if you have that fund. Well, and that was like we were talking over coffee earlier. Like when I started the podcast, I could turn away so many little sponsor opportunities and stuff because I wasn't desperate for cash because I was self-funded. And having that capital allowed me to grow slow, organic, and there's nothing worse than the stench of desperation in anyone's life, whether it's on Tinder or at the car yard. Like it's it's horrendous smell. Um, so yeah, I think it's just working out what your emotional constitution is comfortable with. Mm. So, all right, Nathan, take us home. All right. So the Australian finance podcast, what is it? How is it? Why is it? Who is it? Have I missed any of those words? Who? What is it? Did we say that? No, one? I think I did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, who is it? It's Kate and I. Yep. Uh, twice a week. And we occasionally are joined by our producer, Monique. What up, Monique? She's just, sitting here with us. She's just off to the side. Yep. Monique joins us once a month for Money and Chill. And we have two podcasts. Cool. And this one that we're talking about is kind of our beginner to intermediate level podcast. And we talk about everything from psychology, which is probably where we're both more interested in. Um, than the actual budgeting and those types of things. Sure, we cover that, but we know that how good you are with money has more to do with how you behave. So, totally. um, so that's where we spend a lot of our time. We talk about investing a lot because we're both investors. And um, yeah, we've had this community growing since 2019, I think we worked it out. Yeah, 2019. So it's been fantastic and mm. uh, we love just chatting to people. Uh, we, we're, we're so fortunate we get to come to your event. Uh, we're recording this and we get to come to your event tomorrow night, which yes. is fantastic. So um, we love to meet people in person because it gets a bit lonely behind the mic. Mm. You're listening to Richard Mercer on Smooth FM. <laughs> um, yeah, totally. It does get lonely and sometimes you need the late night radio to <laughs> keep you warm. So Kate, what would you add about the podcast and, and all that stuff? Yeah, I think it's just a great tool to talk to people and remind everyone that you're not going through this financial journey alone. It can feel super isolating when you're just trying to get out of debt and figure out the emergency fund and look through all these resources on the internet, trying to work out what on earth an ETF is. But there's podcasts like ours, like yours, where people can actually meet other investors and people like them trying to just build a great financial future for themselves and their family. And I think it's really important that no one feels alone going through this journey and there's just so much more to investing than just the numbers on the spreadsheet. And I think it can really help build a fulfilling life for mm. you once you get those numbers sorted. Then you can focus on the good stuff like traveling or buying a boat. Totally. Amen, sister. And, you know, if you hate this podcast and you're still listening, we'll go listen to theirs. It's probably better. So there you go. <laughs> uh, Less jokes, Glenn. You're definitely a joke star. Oh, yeah. And like... I don't really prep. This is as much prep that I... Do you do much prep for yours? Yeah, we 
Kate yeah, tends to write an article. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I sort of write an article to get my thoughts out and figure out what do I have to say about this particular topic and just make sure I've researched everything. Um, and then read we just sort books. of like have some dot points. Yeah, sometimes I'll read the guest book or things like that. Um, but I do, I love reading. So research and reading is fun. I mean, that's why I'm doing a law degree on my spare time. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah, I'm, I'm you, definitely fun at parties. Did you get a copy of my book sent down? Uh, yeah, I have read that too. Oh, yeah. What do you think? It was all right? Or? No, it was good fun. Yeah. It was good put fun. on the spot here, Kate. Yeah, I don't care. No, I thought you had some good thoughts about side hustles. Oh, yes. Yes. I like that it doesn't have to be a forever thing. And I think sometimes people get stuck in that trap and suddenly they have no time for anything. So I like that you talked about that. I'm actually glad you brought that up because we'll go there. Like you talked at the very start about this uh, yearly bonus thing, right? And putting that money into general revenue. Yeah. That's the trap that people end up with with side hustles. They start to live off this money and all they've done is increase their income and are living off it and they're on a you rat on the wheel and they can't get off. Yeah, and suddenly they're working two full-time job Exactly. So, you don't have to get a side hustle. Uh, and if you haven't heard my comments on it, there's only four broad reasons I think you should side hustle. Number one, to pay off some short-term debt. Number two, to go a short-term goal. Number three, if you are trying to uh, build a business on the side, legitimately side hustle, like I'm doing this on the side, I want to then transition over to do it full-time. Or number four, I just do it because I like it. I make a bit of pottery. I sell it at markets. I don't believe we should be side hustling to prop up general revenue because if that's the case, it's a career issue, not a side hustle issue. Yeah. And it can sometimes distract you from actually upskilling in your current job and um, building skills and negotiating your salary because you've got this money coming in the other side. It can distract you. And if you're side hustling all weekend, you don't have time to actually keep learning in your industry if that's important mm. to you of increasing your salary. Yeah. So, there you go, Owen. I wrote 105,000 words and she likes 20 she of likes them. It. And she yeah. reads a lot of books. So... <laughs> I have a whole I, bookshelf at home dedicated to finance books. Yeah. Kate mm. has, what, three bookshelves? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Floor yeah. ceiling and um, Ikea yeah, mate, you've done Billy very bookshelves, well. Ikea bookshelves, baby. So. Mm. Giddy up. Hey, there's a question here. There's two questions. I'll read both of them and we'll just throw it out to the table to chat about it. Leah Halbworth, I think. How much money do you need to invest in shares in order to have enough passive income from dividends not to work anymore? And Joy Yu said, how to calculate how much we might need for our retirement. You've heard what I think about how much you need for retirement, have you? The exact amount? No, I don't think I can remember Tell the us. exact amount. Yeah, as much as possible. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Big number. Big number. That's a Suze Orman philosophy there. Is it? Yeah, she's definitely as much as possible yeah. for retirement. <laughs> yeah, well, that's my general philosophy on saving and investing. Just keep shoveling, baby. Yep. Yeah. All right, stuff is all. Let's move on. Should we, or do we want to? Okay, let's just. Yeah, you can do the bush math route. I've got, and we'll just talk today's dollars, everyone. This is my big. I've had a rant lately. I forget where it was at one of the live events, where like the online compound interest calculators generally suck. Like the MoneySoft one doesn't account for inflation or tax. So, you put like, oh, I'm investing $1,000 a month for 50 years. Oh, I'm worth $400 million. Well, no, you need to you need to factor in inflation. And today's dollars with projections means that the projections are discounted by the inflation rate. So, if we go bush maths, if it was right now today and you had a million dollars in your account, we know if we had it in a bank account and there was a 2% return, there's 20 grand a year. So that's bush maths. 8% long-term portfolio, 80K a year. But the thing is, as you get older, and particularly in your later years, you don't technically need that 8% because you will be drawing down on some capital along the way. That's how general financial pro projections work. So do you want to add in? You're the money guy. Can you say something? Yeah, sure. There was actually, I think there was a bit of a question around this about the rule of 72 and the 4% drawdown. Oh, that was just my notes for talking okay, points. Yeah. yeah. So the 4% drawdown is basically you pull 4% out of your nest egg, whatever it is. Um, and in times gone by, that the way we got to that 4% was you get a 7% return, there'd be 3% for inflation, and then you could pull your money out and you'd still be breaking even. And while that may be acceptable, you know, if we look out, so if you take the 10-year projections from the big 
industry funds or even from, say, Vanguard. A diversified portfolio might get you four to six. And so if you work back from that, there's a bit of inflation in there. Um, you've got your return. Well, then what are you left with? And so you can work backwards from that, to your point. You can draw capital. But if you're in the, if you're at that stage of your life, say if you're retiring early, you probably don't want to be pulling capital. Say if you're retired at 40 or retired at 50, uh, you still got a long time to go. So you still want that to grow and you still want to match your living expenses. I think psychologically, one of the hardest things to do is once you do achieve your fire goal or whatever amount of money is actually to sw- flick the switch mm. to go from saver, uh, accumulator to spender, you know, relying on that nest egg. And that's a really hard psychological switch. And I think the to your point, Glenn, you do want to be above that. You want to be over that. Mm. Uh, and you probably don't want to overthink it too much. So that would probably be my thing. Um, and it really just depends. You know, there's a spectrum here of risk. The further you move up the risk curve, sure, your potential return might be there, but that might not match your risk profile. So for Joy, in this instance, we might have two different expectations around expenses and mm. income. Yeah, and, and realistically, like most people, um, and I'll talk about my parents as an example, where just yesterday we've rebooked to see uh, their financial advisor because they're, you know, about to retire and, you know, move their super and set up the pensions and whatnot. I think most people, most, I could just call it middle Australia, for example, if you don't have a mortgage, you can basically live off 60 grand a year. Most, like my parents can, easy. And then the way their pensions are set up, if they do want to do that holiday, well, they can pull 10 grand out of the account-based pension and, and do that. So, I like, and back to my financial advising days, when you would do those pre-retirement re- projections, the whole goal was when you did hang up the tools, we've got to make sure that house is paid off because that's the big one because you get rid of the house repayment, it's 25 to 30% of your income gone that you don't need. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's good to really to understand how much you're living on now and as you get older, kind of the income curve, as we start our careers, it kind of grows and we're earning more, we're earning more, our expenses are higher because we might have kids and then once the um, kids leave home, and they reckon in the 50s, that's your biggest earning decade at the moment because probably you're experienced, you've got no bloody kids keeping you up at night, so you're probably well rested, you're more confident, you're putting up with less crap, and you're just out there killing it. And then what can happen? The income can taper off because you just kind of get set in the ways. But I just think it all goes back to, for me, we need to live on less than we earn systematically and invest the rest. And do the you of tomorrow a favor today. And even for me, I talked about the bush math stuff. I've got some investment properties. It's an IV business, how many I've got. And in my mind, in terms, the loans are on principal and interest. So they'll be gone within 20 years easy. I'm just like, so that property there does X amount a week. That property does X amount a week. That property does X amount a week. So in today's dollars, if I didn't have the mortgage, I can absolutely live off that. So I don't know. I just think... You need to build a life that you're not having to run and retire to and from. Hmm. We actually talked about this today. Did uh, you? Yeah, in a podcast. Um, like this, Take this with a grain of salt. I'd love $2 million, right? A um, million dollars if I had my house paid off. And uh, the why? Because I think I can invest that pretty effectively at that rate. And I think I could live off that. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's a lot of inspo online if you search for the FIRE community members. Uh, they achieve that pretty early in life. It's maybe not as out of touch for some people as you think, uh, but I don't. This is the first time in my life, Glenn, I've actually had a financial goal, and I do this for a living. Mm. So, um, and what is that goal? Like to get a mill, two million dollars, if I could. Two bricks. Yep, in an, an investment portfolio, whether that's through property or whether it's through the share market. It'd probably mostly come through the share market or private businesses is where I love to do my business. Yeah, I was going to say, do you like this whole retirement thing? Like I mentioned it in the monologue, and if I redo it Nathan edit this about I mentioned it in the monologue at the start like people go I don't have super oh I'm worried I was like no but you got three properties and your business is worth 600 grand so chill out <laughs> like so it's uh, our our super is our whole financial world isn't it the super is just a tax structure 
Yeah, it it's is. mandated. That's yeah, all it is. that is. Forced savings. Yeah. Yeah, forced investing. So, Kate, we've had a, a good rant here about this. Can you concisely lawyer that up properly in a well-measured <laughs> way? Yeah, I think... I don't know how close you are to retirement, but if you have a figure that you can at least work towards, I think that gives people a lot of comfort. I know Scott Pape's recently been talking about how much people need for retirement. I mean, his numbers incorporate the age pension, so that's not something I've ever thought about when I'm planning my own financial independence. I want to be completely financially independent, hopefully by 40 to 50 years old, hopefully sooner, but we'll see what happens. Um, But I just want a number that I'm comfortable to live off and I mean, as the years have gone on, I have increased my expectations, which which happens a lot. Mm. The fact that, okay, do I want to be able to travel to Europe every couple of years? Maybe I do. And so, I think originally I said a million dollars and I was like, oh, 40 grand a year, that'd be plenty. But I think as expectations about life and what I could do and even giving back. I want to earn more to give money to other people and organizations that are important to me. And so I'm going, okay, well, I can set the bar a little bit higher because I believe that I have the earning capacity. I can invest now. I know how to put a plan together. So putting a crazy goal out there at the start probably would have scared me off, but um, having that initial million dollar goal um, and it has probably grown since then. I don't have an exact number, but I. this is just something I'm like, well, okay, if the goal's roughly a million or two, this is how much I need to put aside mm. each month. And then assuming as I go through my 20s and my 30s, I'll hopefully be able to increase my income. Then I can work towards that goal a bit more aggressively than I am currently. That It's funny you both say that. Like you've, you've mentioned two mil, you've mentioned one. I've never... And it's, again, it's a personality thing. I never gone like I need X amount. Like I've just, and I've said this a billion times. I'm just focusing on shoveling money, and because I'm a spender, I need to focus on not spending, <laughs> just shoveling money. Uh, but I just thought then, like, if you are new to this, and you know, we're talking about retirement. Basically, what happens when you retire? I'll I'll draw an example. You've got your bank account that you're paying, that your current salary comes into each fortnight or we'll say each week, your weekly salary comes in, you pay for food, you pay for entertainment, some tickets to, you know, John Farnham's final tour for the last time, no, really last time. Um, and then, you've so all your expenses coming out of this bank account, your salary comes in. You might have a super account and an investment property and you've got no debt, the investment property is paid off and the home is paid off. When you stop working, quote unquote, you take a pair of scissors to the employment income, that gets cut. And then we say, okay, round numbers, we need 52 grand to live on, $1,000 a week. So what we do then, we say, well, the rental property gives us $500 a week. So that's it there. And then we might say, well, we supplement that $500 a week with $500 from our super and the super's still invested. It's just now in a pension phase. And it's not as soon as you retire the government doesn't rock up and say, oh, you're retired. Here's your super in with a bank check for cash. So it has to stay invested and it will just supplement your income. And then as that gets lower, you may get under the safety net and and over time, you might get, oh, well, this, this year we've redone your thing. You get $2 of age pension because your super's dropped because you've spent it. So it really is the last case scenario. And I would tell anyone listening, if you're under 40 years old, particularly, if you're under 50, particularly-ish, you've got no reason, if you're hearing this right now, not to be self-funded as a retirement and don't use uh, social security safety net as your goal. So Yeah, I would probably just maybe put one asterisk if on that. Yeah, like go a, for it. Asterisk away. It should just be uh, single parents. If you're in your 40s and you've got... Um, like I've, I've talked to a lot of people that might be, say, lucky to save 50 bucks a month. And, yeah. d- you know, don't be, I, I, I take your point. I totally do. Mm. Like for a lot of our listeners, I would say 95% more more of them could afford that. But um, yeah, and if you're in that five, don't, yeah. don't be too there, And there's carve outs, right? Like yeah, for sure. disability, um, income, if you're, you're going through something that's medical, medical yep. issues, like yep. absolutely. Everything I say, everyone, don't get a grain of salt. Get three ton of salt, <laughs> back the truck up and pour it all over me. Yeah, I don't mean to be- um, No, no, it's, it's, it's a good call a bit, out yeah. because it's true. Like I, And going back to like our audience, we know the stats that 
median income for our listeners as the annual census, it's $91,000 a year. Yeah, well, fair enough then. So, you know, if you just joined us and you've just moved to Australia or you're a student or you're a single parent or you're on a disability support thing, yeah, all this stuff sounds capitalist pig pew pew, but I need to speak to my main audience, but still acknowledge you and thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, no, that's great, mate. And I love that you do that census and you actually share it on LinkedIn, which yeah, we is do. super valuable. Yeah. Like, and we what? share it to everyone in the yeah. community. You can do a Facebook group search, census 2021. Uh, we do them in October because I need to know who I'm speaking to. Mm. Yeah, um, I really like it. You're, I think you're the only one that does that. And I, I find that so valuable. Yeah. Yeah, I really do. Well, we've got to know who to sell ads to. I mean, we've got to know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think uh, just on the point of having a dollar amount, I think it depends on what kind of goal setter you are. Sometimes That's you're right, a person yeah. who's just like, I'm going to smash as much into my investment accounts on a monthly basis or I want to put two grand a month. Or for me, I like an outcome. So even if the number ends up being completely different in a few decades, having a dollar amount that I'm at least working towards mm. does help. And also knowing when's enough. I know so many people who just never stop working because even though they are completely financially independent, they just don't know what's enough and they're not actually enjoying the money. They always think they need that next dollar. So it, it depends if you're an input or an output kind of goal setter. So yeah. just knowing and, what works for you. And that's right. Like, And even like you said that then, like my old man, like finally trying to get him to retire. Mm. They've got all the super in the world. Like, they're fine financially, right? And I've told them, when I was an advisor five years ago, I was like, what are you doing working? Anyway, he texted me the other day because he does waterproofing and maintenance um, for new homes. So, when the builder's done with the new construction and then they forgot to put a little no more gaps around this or the brickwork, they'll send dad in with his can of tube of whatever the goo and just a little maintenance before handover anyway. So he does that and does some waterproofing. He calls me and goes, oh, I've just been offered a job in Port Macquarie for six months and there's a shortage and it's like three grand a week in the hand. Uh, I'm going to ask your mum and we'll have to, and I'm like, at what cost? Like your body's rooted. Like you don't need the money, but it was that mindset of, these opportunities walked in the door, it's really good money, I need to do that. But the phrase that I've been saying in my mind, and I said it to dad, yeah, at what cost? Like, it'll kill you. And don't bloody put mum through moving to Port Macquarie for six months. Like, So, yeah, it's just these conversations are the real talk, right? And that's what you want to talk about your friend to your friends with because it is so hard to find what's enough, whether that's in your career, your side hustle, your job, your investing. There always feels like there needs to be something else. You hit that milestone, you set that next goal immediately. Yeah. And so if you talk about these things with your friends and you actually go, okay, I'm, I feel like I just can't switch off that hamster wheel, maybe you can start having these conversations and go, okay, maybe I can slow down a bit because I am hitting my targets and I want to enjoy my life and I want to enjoy the money while I've got it. I want to, I don't want to die with $10 million and not have done all those mm. things throughout my career. And as you said, your body can't do all the things. So yeah. uh, my mum's been using the phrase recently, adventure before dementia. Yes. Um, but just making sure that in your 20s and 30s and 40s, you're using your money uh, in a way that you can still enjoy those experiences and you don't end up fully self-funded retiree and not having done all the things. Absolutely. Just on that friend thing, Chrissy McCoy said, is it wise to offer advice to friends who are hopeless with money? I think it really comes down to having the right conversation at the right time. We were talking about this earlier, Owen and I, and um, it's not really, if a friend's not interested in money, doesn't want to touch it or deal with it or think about it, saying that that's something I'll deal with when I'm 50, jumping straight into, oh, there's this great ETF that might be really good for you to invest in is probably not the way to go about it. And they're probably just going to ignore you, um, switch off. It might turn them off even more, but starting with something that they're interested in. And most people are saving towards a particular goal. Maybe they've got travel in their vision in two years' time. And so starting to use that as a way to open up the conversation about money. I Can I call my friend now live? Because <laughs> sure. Dirty Mike, he's been on the show before. We'll see if he answers. We'll ask him this question. I love this. Never done a live call before. I'll phone a friend. I always do it. The person you are calling is not... Not answering. Oh, he might call back. Um, last question, unless Dirty Mike calls. 
I'd maybe just chime in on this. Chime. Ding, ding, ding. Yep. Uh, hopeless with money. So I know people that are not hopeless with money, but super anxious about talking about mm. money. And this is very common. A lot of people have anxiety about money. It's one of those things. Um, I didn't have a financial goal, Glenn, until I started working on my own vision board. Oh. Thanks to my friend over here, Kate. And so this had actually nothing to do with money, right? But I sat down, I, what do I want to do? What do I want to live for? What do I, I want to be remembered for? All these different types of things. And if you've done a vision board, you get it. If you haven't done it, give it a crack. And within that, a big part of what you want to achieve involves money. Mm. And so for me, I realized a lot of these things that I want to do, like I want to live on a farm. I already live in the hills, so I get the fresh air. But I want to do a lot of these things and they were go- they're going to require Are money. Are Scott Pape? You know what? Like it's where Scott lives. Uh, out in regional Vic. Yeah. Um, if you're listening, Scott, I am very envious. I don't get envious of many things. Scott listens to this. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Scott, have me over for a Palmer. I'll go down to the pub with you and we'll talk finance uh, if you're interested. But that's my ideal lifestyle. Yeah. You know, living on the farm, kids can grow up with fresh air and whatever. And so I need money to do that. Mm. And so one of the easiest things you can do with a friend or a family member who doesn't want to talk money is not talk money to them and reverse engineer the conversation into money. Mm. And that's what's worked with friends of mine. Um, one of them is kind of living that lifestyle where they like to spend on clothes and things like that. They discover things in their closet that they didn't know existed mm. and it's brand new. Yeah, uh, that was like me. <laughs> yeah, and it happens. I gave a brand new pair of G-Star jeans to a friend the other day. I bought them and I was just never happy with them. I never wore them. I still had the tags on there. I'm like, hey, Herb, you want these? <laughs> G-star. Yeah. Yeah, right. That wouldn't have been cheap. So, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so, oh, Dirty Mike's calling. That. Okay, here we go. Hey. What's happening? Not much. Hey, I'm just recording a podcast. I, yes. I, just, I just wanted your input. Um, yeah. There's a question from a listener. Is it wise to offer f- advice to friends who are hopeless with money? <laughs> <laughs> Start a podcast and monetize it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm doing this podcast just for you. But... <laughs> I I wanted to talk to you more so around the fact that you were pretty useless with money for most of your adult life. Oh, still, but yeah. Yeah. And then um, it, it wasn't until you got a serious goal, was it? Or you until you seriously, putting words in your mouth, but like seriously got, it's like, oh, I actually want to do this and I actually need to stop the debt. Nah. No? Nah? All right. What it's, is it? I think it's just age. I think it's just maturity with yeah. an age thing because I'm still quite useless. I still haven't implemented any um, financial tools to help me do these things. <laughs> if only you um, knew someone who did this crap. <laughs> oh, and gave it to me for free pro bono because he puts up with me enough to listen to the rubbish. Like, yeah, the amount of advice you've given me, the tools you've given me, the help you've given me and still not implemented it for free. Yeah. Some people just can't be helped. Yeah, and you're one of them. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And for anyone listening, I'll let you go, Dirty Mike. But um, okay. hang on, oh, yeah. no, no, stay, stay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, there was an anonymous post in the group couple at the start of the year, and the anonymous poster talked about a friend borrowed their four wheel drive and, hey. and crashed it while they were overseas. <laughs> I wrote the anonymous post, and it was Mike who borrowed my car and crashed it while I was away. <laughs> I didn't crap. I put a few dings in it. Yeah, every panel. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, Dirty Mike's been in my life forever. And there's all the telling in the world, but, you know, he's now, you know, got married, got the house. And I think, yeah, the maturity thing maybe is like, oh, hang on, I'm south side of 40. I need to get my life in order. Yeah. Sometimes people just need time and sometimes mm. People will just cycle in and out. I'm sure most people have a family member that has been cycling in and out of mm. debt for a long time and mm. no amount of helping them financially or giving them information or sending them podcast links will help. And in that circumstance, I think you just need to be really understanding. If you if they want help, if they do ask for it, maybe that's the time you can help and say, look, I've got the resources, I can help you um, find a financial advisor or talk to a financial counsellor if you want it. But at some point, I think you can't just be shoving it down people's Yeah, and, and those convinced against their will are of the same opinion still. Like, you just really can't push a rope, can you? You um, 
just in finishing, you talked about reverse engineering it and getting them onto the um, whatever you're saying. Yeah, yeah. So um, if I could summarize what you guys were just talking Please. about, it would be that um, they have to have a need for them to see it. It's like, it's like I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. And oftentimes they see it and they it's like a, a wedding. It's a child. It's a house. It's something like that. Yeah. But I'll give you just a quick example, an anecdote of uh, what I did to my brother recently. He probably doesn't listen to any finance podcast, so I can say this without him uh, realizing. But he's not interested in money in any way, shape or form, even though you know I do what I do. Mm. So what did I do when I was in Byron visiting? I put on a podcast from an Invest Like the Best podcast. It's You may have heard of it, Patrick O'Shaughnessy in the U- United States. Probably the best investing podcast. What's it States. called? Invest Like the Best. Yeah, I actually, I think I've heard of him. Yeah, you would have, yeah. I don't listen to his podcast. Um, there was an episode that he did at the very start of the series in 2017, and it's with a guy called Eric Maddox. Right. And he's a uh, Chinese Mandarin linguist from uh, the Delta Force in the United States. And the whole podcast was about listening and about catching Saddam Hussein. Mm. It had nothing to do with money. But I knew by putting that episode on while we drove from Byron back to Lennox Head that he would be interested enough because it was about something that he was interested in. Mm. And he subscribed to the podcast. Got in through the back door. Yes. And he didn't, I don't think he even knows now what the podcast is about, but he he listens to it. Mm. And that started from something that was not finance related. Yeah, that's cool. When I drove home from Queensland with mum, we listened to an episode of Joe Rogan. That would have been an interesting experience. It was, but I, I made sure it was the Jim Gaffigan one, who's like America's cleanest comedian. <laughs> and it was actually quite good. It was a Theo yeah. Von podcast no. or something like that. Yeah. Hey, uh, last question really quickly. Michael McWilliam, when does it make sense to stop using micro-investing platforms like Spaceship in favour of ETF? So, when do you graduate yeah, I think it's interesting. We did interview a micro-investing app provider last year on the podcast. And they that? were trying to... I can't remember. We did Raise. Raise? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I've had we're, him. They were trying to say that you don't need to graduate and yeah. you can do both indefinitely. But I think... It's funny it is, they would say that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, in my mind, I think it is a good tool to get you started if that's what gets you taking that first step. And it has... T- helped hundreds of thousands of Australians take that first step because opening a brokerage account and buying something, you've got to decide what is quite scary. So if you use micro-investing as a tool to get you interested in investing, learn as much as possible, start putting a bit of cash aside. And then once you've opened a brokerage account, you've picked maybe one ETF to start with, then you could move on. And I think I think there is a point when people graduate and I don't think that I would be using any of these micro-investing apps indefinitely. Yeah. When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Yeah. But it's the same. The fact that Michael's asking the question, he's ready. Yep. I would probably say. And even like you've got these uh, Lumix cameras here. When I, my first camera was like a Canon DSLR, right? Good camera for stills, right? Then I wanted to go, oh, I want to go more video stuff, Lumix, like your Lumix or Sony is probably good for um, like Panasonic or Sony, probably good for video more than Canon and Nikon for stills. I'm being very general here. Uh, so we nailed the the Lumix and all that. Then I was getting more of a hunger and needed the more advanced features or whatnot. Then we went to Blackmagic. I didn't rock up and spend all that money with Blackmagic on day one. I learned the basics and then as the need arose to get more from the tool, I then had to look elsewhere. Yeah. So it's just the same as your hobby, your interest. Like, yeah. And you've got to engage with it. So if you actually looked at your raised portfolio, mm. you'll see that there's different ETFs in there and it's made up of multiple different asset classes. And you can use that. Um, even some people I recommend actually just having a look at what makes up their superannuation account because you can use that as a starting point totally. to go, oh, there's multiple different types of things I can invest in. I mm. can invest in property. I can invest in Australian companies like Telstra and BHP. I can invest in Apple and Disney in the US. And you can use this as a springboard. And I think that's what it should be to get Mm. you interested. Um, And then you build up the skills and the confidence to actually buy your first ETF in a brokerage account. Back to kind of square one or two, back to um, Cassie's question, where you talked about investing, Owen, um, while in her situation, I categorically don't believe she needs to just walk out tomorrow and throw 10 grand in the market. 
and I'd say to this to anyone who's trying to get out of debt onto a plan, the micro-investing apps are good to get you pumped and scratching that itch, even if it's $10 a week. Like if you're in a truckload of debt and you've got a good income, no, you're not a freaking investor. Your full-time job is a debt payer downer. Like that's your reason for living financially, to clean up your mess. But I want you to keep engaged and if that could mean $20 a week into raise, knock yourself out, learn. And then when the markets do their thing, you'll be able to see and feel what happens to that $20 a week rather than just going full ham into, um, you know, investing. Yeah, well, we often say that investing is a three to five year apprenticeship. Mm. And what is an apprenticeship? Apprenticeship is hands-on. It's not a degree. It's doing what you're, what you're practicing to be good at. It often goes full circle though. You, you'll learn via micro-investing, then you'll start investing yourself and you'll be a couple of years into your journey and your friends will go, hey, I know you do that investing thing, right? Mm. Can you explain to me how it works? So it kind of goes full circle and then you get to help the next person. Like, I've got a raise account and the only reason I haven't closed it is because I forget the password and I can't be able to resetting it and I keep seeing like the $4 a month or whatever it is coming out of my bank account. <laughs> <laughs> like, like so I, you have a little nest egg there in a few years when you remember the password. Yeah, but like it's there, you know, they've got good raise rewards and all that stuff and without it turning into mm. a, a raise ad, like it's a good place to start and I really like their product. Yeah, um, and a lot of people are terrified to um, invest for the first time and if you can just start with $5 and explore mm. and get a feel for it and use that as a springboard for mm. um, learning as much as possible, I think it's a great approach. It's my favourite micro-investing app. And we did a, a comparison of, of a handful of them, and I, I think it's a good little, a good little thing. So, yeah, it's just good to get your feet in the water. Mm, yeah, the sooner you can start moving up the humility curve mm. and back down it, the better. Giddy up. Yeah. All right, Owen and Kate, Australian Finance Podcast, and what's the Australian Investor Podcast? That's it. Yeah. Um, give it a like, give it a subscribe, give it a follow, all that stuff. Pew pew pew. Thank you so much for coming on My Millennial Money. Great to chat, Glenn. Yeah, Glenn. And thank you for, I was going to say, special thank you for everything that you do for the Australian community around helping them get in control of their money. I'm just facilitating a chat, but thank you. Now you're the medium. You're the field guide, so we all appreciate it. All right, no worries. Thanks, guys. See you soon. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.